0: How many of you are familiar with the term dual citizenship? Dual citizenship It's a term used for an, uh, of an individual who is a uh, citizen of two countries at the same time. Certain countries of the world they acknowledge and they Honor dual citizenship. Others do not. The United States do, and and a lot of the time, it happens immediately. For example, if if a child is born into this country by foreign parents, he or she become citizens of two countries at one time. That's that's dual citizenship. Now, some of you may know and are familiar with that term. Some of you maybe not. But I'm sure most of you are thinking to yourself, what on earth does this have to do with our message this morning? Well, I'll I'll tell you, believers, do you realize that you are dual citizens? God affirms this in His Word. He says, you and me, all of us, all believers, have dual citizenship. We are citizens of this country and we are citizens of His country. So if you're here this morning, if you're listening online and you are trusting in Christ alone for your salvation, you have dual citizenship. Now, because that is the case, get this, because that is true that you have dual citizenship, you have both earthly obligations and heavenly obligations, earthly commitments and heavenly commitments, earthly authorities. And a heavenly authority. This is so important for us to remember and to keep in mind because we tend to be extremists. We do. We tend to drift to one extreme or another we become so fully engaged as heavenly citizens that we neglect our our earthly citizenship or the other way around we we become what is called so heavenly minded that we're of no earthly good or the other way around we're so earthly minded that we're of no heavenly good If you have your Bibles turn to Romans chapter 13 Romans 13 this morning We're going to focus primarily on our earthly citizenship. We spend a great deal of time in here focusing on how we are to live as heavenly citizens of God's kingdom. But this morning we're going to focus our attention in on where Paul puts his attention on the fact that we have been called to be earthly citizens as well. Now many of you by turning there, glancing over the text, you know it's not by accident not by chance that we find ourselves in Romans 13 this morning. Actually, I was not even set to preach this morning, uh but by God's providence I am and uh, we were supposed to start our our missions series which we will start next week. I prepared one su- sermon on Friday and then woke up on Saturday feeling led to preach Romans 13. So I I change the script a little bit which is why you'll notice in your scripture reading it doesn't really match the text because it was supposed to be for another text okay so that will explain that but I just thought where we are as a state where we are as a nation in our world today in the church that Romans 13 a good dose of Romans 13 would be good for us okay in this text The Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he is writing on what our perspective should be when it comes to government and our governing authorities. You know, there are many that say there are two topics you should never discuss, religion and politics, and we're going to do both. This morning we're breaking both of those rules, and actually we're going to talk about the relationship between the two. So buckle up All right, get ready. Romans 13. In this passage, Paul is reminding the Christians at Rome and us, his greater Christian audience, that we are dual citizens. In the first seven verses, Paul tells us what the role of government should be in our lives as believers. And he is going to answer for us. how big of a role government should play in our lives. That's a debate we often have, right? Well, Paul's going to tell us, believers, this morning. Now, before we jump headfirst into this passage of Scripture, we need to back up a bit, and I need to bring you up to speed quickly on where we are in the book, really quickly. Chapters 1 through 11 of Romans, Paul explains to the Christians at Rome what God has done for them in, in Christ. He shares with them the fact that while they are sinners, guilty, undeserving, God has called them out. He has saved them, He has adopted them as sons and daughters, and He has reconciled them to Himself. There's a whole lot more to it than than that, but we only got 30 minutes, okay? So we gotta move. Chapter 12, verse 1 comes the great transition in the book. The great therefore, and y'all know the rule. Whenever you approach a therefore in scripture, you got to ask what it's there for. And therefore is a, a transitional word, and sometimes in certain books, it, it is the word used to really transition from one focus to the next, and that's what happens in, in Romans. In verses 1-11, through 11, Paul is saying, this is what God has done for you in Christ, and then in Chapters 12 through 16, Paul says, Now go live in a way that would be acceptable and worthy of what God has done for you. Chapter 12, verse 1, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Notice living sacrifice, that's significant, isn't it? We don't often refer to sacrifices as living. Talking about offering our lives that we live, right? And it's to be ongoing. That's the way it's written there. Paul says, in light of all these things that God has done for you, you are to present your body as a living, holy, and acceptable sacrifice to God. Paul says, that is to be your worshipful and worthy response to the mercies of God. That's 12.1. And this verse really serves as a model for the rest of the book. What comes after in chapters 12 through 16 tell us how we do just that. How are we to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to God? Today, as we look at chapter 13, the first part, of chapter 13, we're going to see one key way we do this. And let me warn you before we look at it that while Paul's message here is simple to understand, it's hard to swallow. Because Paul tells us here that God establishes government and appoints governing authorities that we are to submit to. We're to submit the government it doesn't matter if you like them or not agree with them or not we're to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to God by submitting ourselves to our governing authorities that is exactly what Paul says in chapter 13 verse 1 no other way to understand it listen to what he says let every and by the way I really did do this I looked in the Greek The word every means all or every, okay? Let every person be subject to governing authorities. You see, simple to understand, hard to swallow. Paul gives a command here for all people everywhere, believers included. They're to submit themselves to governing authorities. Now, there's a bad word in this verse. Do you see it? It's the S word, submit. Submit. Or subject, people hate that word in our society. They hate when pastors bring it up, that wives are to submit to their husbands, children are to submit to their parents, believers are to submit to the leadership in the church and the governing authorities in society. People hate that word, yet that's what Paul says do here. I'm sure right now you're, you're running down in your mind all the, the, the exceptions to this, right? You're thinking, well, what if governing authorities tell me I can't worship God? What if they tell me I can't share my faith? Exception, exception, exception. We love exceptions, don't we? We love to be the exception. We dislike blanket statements like these that say, everyone must do this, whatever this is. When we come across verses like this, we're always quick to kind of throw out exception, exception, exception. Folks, there are exceptions. We learn throughout Scripture that God's authority trumps man's authority every time. If rulers call for us to worship anyone other than the one true God, we're not to do it. They tell us we're not to preach the Word of God, share our faith, we we are to disobey because God calls for us to be His witnesses and make Him known where He is not known. There are exceptions, but notice Paul didn't give any here. You notice that? Flip flip through it. He didn't give any. I believe that's because He, the Spirit of God, who's inspiring these words, is trying to show believers that while there are exceptions, a lot of the time we rebel against authority when we really shouldn't. When we shouldn't biblically. Now I'm sure many of you are probably thinking, well, Paul was writing thousands of years ago. He didn't know how bad things have gotten in our world today. If he was looking at at our world today, surely he would say something different. Before you convince yourself of this, Let me remind you who Paul is writing to and the context in which he was writing. Paul is writing to Christians in Rome who lived under the most corrupt and godless and pagan rule of the day. You know who's in power when Paul's writing this? Nero. What if Nero were your president or your governor or your mayor? He was one of the most evil and ruthless rulers in all of human history. He was such a tyrant that he earned the nickname, believe me, he earned it, the beast. You know what he did during his time in power?
1: Made everybody wear face coverings?
0: No. He killed Christians. He had them covered in tar and lit on fire for lanterns for his garden party. He's a sweetheart, isn't he? He would dress them up in animal skin and have them devoured by wild animals. Not only was he evil, but the empire which he ruled was also wicked. In, in first century Rome, black magic and sorcery were common practice. Emperor worship was required. Sexual immorality was, was everywhere. And it wasn't just happening behind closed doors. It was out for the world to see, your kids included. Most every event offered in ancient Rome had ties to paganism. There was also little concern for human life in ancient Rome while killing a Roman man was a serious offense. Killing one's child was common practice then too. In that day it was said, you didn't have a child, you took a child. So if you had a child and you didn't want that child, you could just leave that child out in the wild for that infant to be devoured by wild animals. Many of the believers in this day, they gathered those kids up. The earliest mission ministry, caring for orphans, started with the believers
1: in Rome. The wicked
0: place. No matter how bad you think society has gotten today, it doesn't hold a candle to first century Rome. So if Paul's message To the Roman Christians is submit to governing authorities. Do you think it'd be any different today? Truth is, this is not just Paul's message to Roman believers. This is God's message to all believers. We're to submit to governing authorities. That's the main point of this passage. In the following verses, Paul gives the reasons why. First, because they're appointed by God. Second half of verse 1, Paul says, For there is no authority underline that there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God there's another bad word in this verse do you see it the first one started with an S submit the second one starts with an A authority those are bad words in our world submission and authority maybe they're bad words in your world not in God's world in fact Those are divine qualities and activity that we see from God. God relates to himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in relationship with himself. And in that relationship, you see submission and authority. You see how wicked our world is taking those divine qualities and calling them evil.
1: Paul says here,
0: God says through his apostle... We are to submit to authority. Then Paul says, all authority has been instituted by God. There is no authority except from God. You know what that means? That means that if you have issue with authority, you have issues with God who instituted every authority. Folks, I don't write the message. I just deliver the mail. That's what it says. Now I know this is heavy, but it's biblical and there's there's comfort to be found in this truth like Brent prayed earlier. This verse reminds us that, that God, our ultimate authority, is on the throne and in control over all of these lesser authorities and He is sovereign no matter who is in power. Behold how awesome our God is. He can take the works of bad men and women, incompetent men and women in leadership and Good men and women in leadership, work through them all, and accomplish his good, perfect, sovereign purpose. If you question that, just read the book, read the Bible, study church history. It's a story of God working in this way again and again and again. We see God. Using good authorities as blessing, instituting evil rulers as means of trial and judgment. In verse 2, Paul takes this one step further. He not only tells believers that they are to submit to authority and and governing authorities, and he not only gives them the reason why, but he also says there's a consequence if we don't. He says, verse 2, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists, What God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Yikes, right? Is there any other way you can understand that? Other than what he's clearly saying? Paul Paul tells his readers here that if we choose to resist our governing authorities, if we refuse to submit, we are opposing authorities that God has instituted, and we're going to have to answer for that have to answer for being insubordinate paul says those who resist are opposing what god has established and will therefore open the door for judgment against them in verse 3 paul gives another reason why we should submit to authorities second reason why is because they maintain order and restrain evil look at verse 3 for rulers are not a terror to good conduct but to bad would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. Believers, well, this is the reason that God has established government. Our God is a just God. He is a God of order who hates evil. And he has put governments in place to be an extension of his righteousness government is meant to bring order and restrain evil now does that mean there's never a bad apple in the bunch of course not just read the book there's wicked rulers all over the place sometimes God allows them to remain as judgment other times he kills them but listen how are we going to hold those people accountable
1: without law and order that's what brings justice.
0: Government is an institution that God has given us in order to maintain justice, Paul says. That's why we should show support for, submit to, respect our local and national authorities. And we're to do all that we can to maintain the order they provide and pray that God would do what he always does which is carry out justice above that, right? So Paul says, submit to authority. Why? Because it's established by God, used by him to bring about order and restrain evil. In verse 4, Paul gives another reason why we should submit to governing authorities. Third reason is because they are God's servants. No, you did not mishear me. They are God's servants. And for those of you who think that I've selected this because of the previous administration, go back and look at the sermon archives. I preached this same message in 2012. Different administration in Doesn't change the message. Right? Circumstances don't change God's word. We believe that here at Fellowship Bible Church. Look at verse 4. Paul says, For he is God's servant, for you're good, but if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God. In case we didn't get it, he tells us again. An avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Notice first that the governing authorities are referred to as servants of God. That Greek word is diakonos, It's where we get our word deacons. So they are God's deacons. How about that? God's ministers, God's servants. Again, you may not like that. There's nothing on earth I can do about it. You have to take that up with God in your quiet time. So with this in mind, Paul says, if you do wrong, if you do not respect or submit governing authorities, you'll pay the price the punishment you will endure will be approved by God because the one in that position of authority has been put there by God. Think about it in this way. If you get a ticket for speeding, that is God's wrath being carried out through his servant. It is. Probably never thought about how you apply Romans 12.1 by abiding by the speed limit. When you do that, you are offering your body a living sacrifice to God in the way in which you abide by the laws set up by God's servants that he has put in place. See how all this applies? When you buckle your seatbelt, you're fulfilling Romans 12:1. Some say, "It's my life. I want to risk my life and limb. I'm going to do it." And I'll leave my seatbelt off. No, the law says click it or ticket. Meaning if your seatbelt is unbuckled, it happened to me recently. doesn't matter what you say or what you declare, one of God's deacons is going to make sure you pay. Another reason Paul calls for us to submit governing authorities is by so doing you keep your conscience clean. Look at verse 5. Paul says, therefore... One must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath but also for the sake of conscience. He's speaking so clearly here, by the way, right? It's just so clear. In verse 5, Paul says, you must be in subjection. You must submit to governing authorities not only to avoid God's wrath carried out by his servant but also to keep your conscience clean. Paul says here, you need to obey the law for conscience' sake. You need to live with a clean conscience by not obeying the Lord, by not only obeying the Lord, but also because you're obeying your governing authorities. That's the way we are to to live as Christians. We are to yield to government. We are to submit, live in subjection to our governing authorities versus six and seven paul ends this passage by by giving us a real clear and simple application of what this looks like he says for because of this you also pay taxes amen man i'm not getting anybody get me lunch today For because of this you also pay taxes for the authorities are ministers of god there it is again attending to this very thing. Hey, to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Paul says to show that you are subject to governing authorities, to show that you respect and honor them, you are to pay taxes. So, so this winter, when you're figuring up what you owe, and getting ready to write your check, think to yourself, this is an act of worship to the Lord. Amen? Paul says, Romans 12one we are to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to the Lord. How do we do that? By submitting ourselves to government, and one way that we submit to government is by paying taxes. All right. I'm not going to end on that. Saying all that, it's in the text, but I'm going to end with this. Saying all that, let me say this. While we've been talking mostly this morning about how we as heavenly citizens of God's kingdom live our lives as earthly ones, know this. The future hope of our country and world, our, our nation, our state, our nation, and our world, your future... It's not ultimately decided by these governing authorities, whoever they may be. Though it seems that might be the case with the Facebook post you read and what the talking heads on the media say, it's not the case. Many hear a message like this and they say, no, I must resist. I I can't submit because my future might be in jeopardy. Pleavers. Your future is
1: set, it's secure.
0: Our future will not ultimately be decided in the ballot box or in the halls of Congress or with any particular ruling by the Supreme Court, not in the hands of whoever our president may be. While we're to do our civic duty, we're to vote like Christians, we're to make decisions working in and through the system that that God has put in place, our Savior is not, nor has He ever been on Capitol Hill. If you're looking for a Savior on Capitol Hill, you're not going to find Him. He's not there. Scripture tells us that our Savior is found on his holy hill. There are no checks and balances to his power. Everything he decides to do, he does, and everything that he does is good and right. He is at work. In the midst of the mess of this broken and fallen, sin-stained world, and he is driving history to his glorious end. Therefore, our faith and trust must ultimately rely on him, no matter what. To secure yourself a glorious future, you must give your life to Christ. Commit yourself to serving him. Deny yourself and take up your cross and follow him. a few moments, the band's going to play one last song. Somebody may need to go get them. I'm finishing up
1: early. They're going to play one last
0: song and you're going to have an opportunity to give yourself over to the proper authority. If you're here listening online, have not done that, I pray you would. Today would be the day you turn from your life of sin and give your life to Christ so that you can begin a wonderful life under His authority. Let's pray together.